0: Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to This Week in Review with Nigel Farage. Nigel, the banking crisis in the US persists and it's affecting stock markets pretty badly this week. It's sort of a slow motion train wreck. And I'm I'm wondering how long this is going to continue, because so often we've heard that this is, you know, a solved problem, a problem of the past. It seems to keep coming back to haunt the stock market. Um, is it going to get worse? How much longer are you expecting it to go on? Well, it's very reminiscent, isn't it, of 15 years ago, where we had this sort
1: of slow rolling wave uh, it was the big joke, wasn't it? That in the Goldman Sachs dealing room, they just stand on the desks and sing Another One Bites the Dust. Um, and, um, you know, um, with each one, well, that's only a minor one. It doesn't really matter. And Bear Stearns, well, hey, tough luck. That's the way it goes. And, and boom, suddenly it's Lehman and the whole thing goes crackers. Um, and we finish up on the edge of a, kind of almost a financial abyss, really. I think it's what we faced in 2008. So we're seeing a similar pattern which is why the markets are nervous. Of course, you know, yet another bank run going on in the last 48 hours. Um, Nick, I don't know any more than you do. I just don't know. And I think there are times when we need to be very frank and honest about that. But what we can say is the downside risk in the banking sector bigger than the upside movement risk over the course of the next six months. But well, I think we've answered that question already. So we have to remain wary, but we just
0: don't know where this ends. Yeah, there's an irony of investing in bank stock. The downside risk is extraordinary in the upside It's almost like a, an option. But um, let's not go there. Um, I want to ask you about this chief economist of the Bank of England who's uh, come out on a podcast. Uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, I feel, I mean, I'm very critical of, of what he said, but I feel a bit sorry for him because he's just chosen the wrong words. Oh, I'm so sorry. You feel sorry for him?
1: <laughs> Do you mean this overpaid idiot that works nine till five that is basically a civil servant stroke bureaucrat? I mean, what a lovely job to have. No late night phone calls, no stress, no worry. Um, and you just, you know, put up the white Remainer flag of despair and say there's nothing we can do in Brexit Britain. It's all over. It's a catastrophe. And um, Nothing to do, of course, Mr Hugh Pill, his name. Nothing to do with putting up corporation tax rates. Nothing to do with the cretinity of putting on 20% VAT on goods that are bought by foreign visitors that come to Britain. Nothing to do with the total refusal to re-examine the ludicrous IR35 rules. I mean, the truth of where we are, is on one level Hugh is right, that we are not doing very well. And we're not doing very well, and it isn't because of Brexit, it's because of this government, which has adopted a big state, high tax, globalist approach. I mean, just think, this government white paper on gambling is suggesting that under the age of 25, you ought to be treated differently to the rest of the country. Well, I'm really sorry. But, you know, at 25, I had a family, a house, a mortgage, a good job. I mean, we're almost saying you're not growing up till you're 25. So it's control, control, control. Everywhere you look, everywhere you go, and a diet of absolute pessimism, and people like Hughville without the imagination to point a way out of it. So I've got to tell you, my sympathy levels are hovering at around about
0: zero. The comments that, that I read were to do with him suggesting that we should accept that we're poorer in order to bring down inflation. And the argument was that uh, our imports, gas, uh, have gone up in price and our exports haven't, and therefore we're poorer. And the inflation is a symptom of the fact that we refuse to accept this, that we continue to expend our our money beyond our means, Uh, which I think is economically incorrect. But of course, he's been absolutely lambasted in the media for suggesting that we should accept we've become poorer because it's his job to deal with the inflation, isn't it? Well,
1: quite. And 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 let's also remember that it's him and his nine-to-five cohorts at the Bank of England who did not predict inflation coming, when well, we were screaming about it on this weekly podcast. They have got everything wrong. You know, I mean, had he said, look, I'm really sorry, guys, we have had absolute balls of this, um, but we're going to put some really constructive ideas forward how we can get out of it because we won't accept getting poorer, because that, frankly, is not what civilization's about. I might have said, well, what a top guy, I'm going to buy him lunch. Um, he did the complete opposite to that.
0: The irony is that the, the Australian uh, Central Bank, the Reserve Bank of Australia, has admitted uh, very openly that it, it completely made a mess yeah. of this and a meal of this, and it's going to do a better job, and they're going to reform it. And shortly after announcing all of this, it was discovered that they'd underpaid their staff for the last seven years. And um, so, you know, the irony abounds here globally. It's not just the Bank of England's making a mess of things. One thing
1: for certain, the Bank of England have not underpaid with Governor or Mr. Pill.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's very true. All right, let's move on then to your other good friends over at the EU. Mm-hmm. Um, you have warned that the European sovereign debt crisis is is you know not that far away in terms of a big comeback. We've got the EU finance chiefs meeting in, I think it's in Stockholm at the moment, and the Germans want to impose new fiscal rules to try and bring down debt levels, uh, which is a, a bit laughable. But what do you actually expect to come out of this this meeting, and do you think it might be a, a trigger for a new wave of issues in European sovereign debt markets?
1: I think the north-south split's getting bigger. I think the political pressures, especially in the Netherlands and countries like that, where voters are just saying, I mean, if you held a referendum in the Netherlands tomorrow, to ask, should we kick Greece out of the euro? You know, I mean, you get, and probably Italy too, uh, you'd get a monster, monster vote in favor. So you're getting to this point, uh, particularly in inflationary times with a cost of living crisis, where the idea that you continually shovel money or help or relief uh, to the suburban countries is becoming politically very, very unpopular. Um, and the poor old South find themselves stuck inside a totally unsuitable currency. Uh, the Greeks have actually given <laughs> up. Um, and at some point, as you've predicted in your book, uh, the Italians will rebel and revolt against it. It's not going to come yet. Uh, but I think these, these, these north-south, uh, and frankly, we say economic, but actually they're really cultural differences between the north and the south of Europe. are there, they're very real. And I think the EU finance ministers are very, very worried about what's coming down the track. The odd thing is, it doesn't even get spoken about. It it barely, you know, you'll get a little bit of the FT that talks about the meeting and a little bit of what was said, Uh, but it's one of those things that is coming down the track and is gonna become an issue again.
0: Yeah, it must be ignored, and therefore, when it does pop up, it's very extreme. Um, I noticed as well that Manfred Weber, who was supposed to be the next president of the European Commission, according to the rules that were established and then ignored, has suggested that a border fence around the EU may actually be an acceptable policy. And I just wanted build, to get your reaction, Nigel. We're
1: going to build a wall on our southern border. It's going to be a great big beautiful wall. Oh my God, what a horrible man. We're living in the modern world. We don't build walls or barriers. We're lovely, kind, liberal-hearted, beautiful people. And right at the top of the list, that man, Manfred Weber. I did battle with in the parliament month after month for years because he was heading the EPP group as I was heading my group. I mean, I mean, you know, we shouldn't caricature. We really, no, we all not to say the Germans are humorless, but my goodness graciously, he really is. Um, And yes, suddenly building a wall is a good idea. They're a bunch of complete hypocrites, and all they really do is just bow to public pressure because they want to be popular.
0: What about the issue that's underlying a lot of this, which is that Brexit has proven to be dramatically less painful uh, than was predicted by the European Union, to put it mildly. It has made leaving the EU at least undeniably plausible to other countries. Is this going to exert itself in the future?
1: I mean, the European press are unendingly negative about Brexit. German press, particularly, but French, not very far behind. You know, I do the odd—I don't do many these days—but I do the odd uh, interview with you know European newspapers, etc. And it's—I mean, you would have thought, you know, that we had gone back to the dark ages um, with the narrative that they're trying to push, um, because after all, they don't want to—they don't—they do not want to encourage a les out. Um, we are not at that stage. Yet, uh, there are not serious political movements in Europe for leaving the EU at this moment in time. There are movements, but they're very, very small. Um, but what you do see uh, is the resurgence of the concept that the nation-state's vital, given Ukraine and various shocks that happen. We've seen Macron you know, going off to Beijing, really acting in the French national interest more than the EU's national interest. Um yeah, I mean, look, you know, this is my frustration, is, you know, 200,000 jobs will leave the city, well, there are none that have left the city. You know, net, there are more people working for financial services than there were before the Brexit vote. The frustration is that the British government hasn't done more with the opportunity, or even arguably anything with the opportunity. Um, and that's the big... Somebody in The Telegraph wrote today, um, one of their... Alistair Heath, one of their weekly commentators, he said, what Brexit has brewed, is that our politicians are as useless as the ones in the European Union, and I think that actually sums it up in terms of where we are. But but despite that, as you say, you know, if at some point Denmark or Italy or France, when Le Pen's president, you know, faces this question, uh, then clearly it is a plausible route. What we need to now prove is actually it's a very prosperous one.
0: I think we can sum up today's video by saying that COVID has allowed governments to paper over a series of problems such as migration and the sovereign debt crisis and banking issues and the economy and inflation, all these sorts of issues. Under COVID, it was all sort of, and they had a lid on it by mm. the pandemic and that lid has now been removed and, and we're sort of when we look in the pot, all these issues have become worse in many ways. So they're all going to bubble up, and, and it's going to cause a whole series of crises over the next few years that should have happened over the last few years. That's true. Um, do you and think that, that's, that's accurate?
1: That's absolutely true. And there's massive amounts of government stimulus which kept the economies afloat and 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 basically, you know, saved us from going into recession and quite a big recession. Uh, yeah, all on borrowed money.